Hey everyone, you're listening to Pistons and Prosecco, a podcast dedicated to showcasing awesome wedding vendors and providing a behind-the-scenes look at the wedding industry. I'm your host, Bryce Bjornsson, owner of Jack's 47 Mobile Bar. We create a better experience for you and your guests by serving delicious drinks on draft with style. Today we have David Sook of St. Luna Spirits. Is that correct or is it <laughs> David? It is St. Luna. Straight up. Awesome. Um, and this is our first podcast with a uh, owner of a distillery um, slash spirit company. So I'm really excited to talk more about St. Luna and how it is relevant to our listeners. Um, and David, you're up in New York City, right? That's where you that's where you live. That's where we're seeing a lot of St. Luna being poured at the bars and restaurants. Is that correct? I am. So I'm based on the Upper West Side. Um, and since we launched last May, we are, we're in Tennessee. So Memphis, Chattanooga, and New York. And we really need and to get you down in North Carolina. <laughs> I know. I hope soon. I mean, we had actually a lot of really great introductions to different distributors all around. So New Jersey, Nashville, Pennsylvania, and COVID happened. So we're just taking a little bit of a, a back seat and waiting for things to kind of repair themselves. Yeah, I think we all are. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back out there, you know, so yeah. hopefully awesome. hopefully soon. Well, David, I'm, I've got the bottle in my hand right now, and it says charcoal filtered moonshine. So a lot of us, when we think about moonshine, we think, you know, uh, deep, deep south, deep country, uh, doesn't taste mm -hmm. very good, have to add sugar and fruit and all that to it. So could you talk a little bit more about, you know, how you got to, how, how you created a, a nice tasting moonshine and a little more about that process compared to let's say a vodka or rum or tequila. Oh, sure thing. So that was really the idea that I had was to create more of a craft type of a moonshine, something that was based on an elevated experience because you're right. When you think of moonshine, you think really overproof. It's just going to get me really, really drunk and you're probably going to have a really awful hangover because of all the sugary, syrups that are used to mask the flavor of just bad alcohol. And you don't really think of moonshine in a cocktail setting or a nice elegant dining experience, or you don't think of it as, I'm gonna have that as a, a beautiful signature cocktail at my wedding. Hmm. And I had thought if I could achieve something that was still overproof, still moonshine, but was so smooth you could sip it on ice, I could basically create my own category. Um, and I could show the world that this is what moonshine can, can be. And so I had, I had this idea a couple of years ago, but it took me, took me a couple of years to really, one, get the confidence to make it happen. And then two, just to have the time to devote to it. So about two and a half years ago, I started down the process of how am I going to make this a reality? And at the time I was working for a company that sold baby blankets and the gentleman, I swear to God, the gentleman that was making our bar soap as it turned out was a master moonshiner. So I had gotten hooked up with him and one weekend flew down to um, Chattanooga said, can I try, try your moonshine? And he drove me out to a couple of hours, like, you know, two hours into Georgia 
We were on his buddy's thousand acre farm with a homemade still set up in the driveway and we made our first batch of moonshine together. So the three of us are all kind of hanging out by the, by the still. And at this point, we hadn't really proofed anything down. So I think it was probably about 180 proof, like right off the still. It just wow. took all the water out of your mouth as soon as you tried it. Um, but when Get I tried fuel, it, right? <laughs> I mean, it was incredible, even at 180 proof. And I thought, wow, if we proof this down, like you really have something here that we can make some great cocktails with. So I ended up buying the recipe from him and he, he became one of the partners in St. Luna. And so he and I um, have sort of been on this journey of how are we going to get this out there? How are we going to get it distributed and get people trying it? So my idea about creating my own category really stemmed from, I need a way to differentiate myself because there are, there's just so many liquor brands out there that have a lot more money than I will ever have to market. Mm -hmm. And I know I have a good product, but I don't have a hundred million dollars sitting in a bank account to, you know, to do a lot of the initiatives that all these other companies are doing. You're not George Clooney, right? No, I mean, you, <laughs> I know, mean, you look, you actually kind of look, uh, you got a little resemblance. Oh, well, there. that's like, that's really kind and very untrue, but, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you know, but I also, you know, as much as it's, it's Clooney, I think it's Randy Gerber, you know, it's having that ability to just pick up the phone and call any distributor and go, Hey, you're going to be carrying Casamigos. Like, yeah. you know, I think that's, you've got Clooney on the, the front facing side of, you know, he can get himself on every television commercial and then Gerber in the background calling every distributor going, you're going to carry this, Yeah. you know? Um, but we have a good product. We have an interesting story, an incredible, elegant brand behind us. And I'd go as far as to say there isn't a mixologist that's tried St. Luna that hasn't loved it. Well, and that brings us to the drink I have in front of me, which is a Negroni using St. Luna. And you suggested adding a little bit of, a little bit of bitters and I did that and I'm telling you I love this cocktail like this is really good I don't usually like Negronis because they're too sweet for me mm -hmm. um, I don't have a sweet tooth but I feel like you know you mentioned the smokiness that St. Luna has that complements a lot of cocktails and I'm getting that in this Negroni it helps cut the sweetness of the Campari and the vermouth so I am a I'm already a big fan <laughs> that's amazing well thank you very much yeah. I am um, I actually do Negronis quite a bit just because they're delicious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I always gravitate towards St. Luna. Mm, yeah. Damn, that's good. Okay. <laughs> so, what well, I, a yeah. friend of mine is this insane, like very, very good mixologist. And so we were going to go to Central Park and play softball and just kind of hang out and social distance and all that stuff. And I'm going, all right, well, what, can, what drinks can I make? Because I don't have anything in the fridge. And so I describe what's in the fridge and she goes, all right, muddle green peppers with a little bit of simple syrup and fresh lime juice and St. Luna. Absolutely incredible cocktail. Really? Huh? Unbelievably good. Green, you know, I have green pepper at home, so. I'll be, definitely try it. And yeah. I did it with a simple syrup. I threw a jalapeno in there and I beat the jalapeno up and made an infusion of just a little yes. bit of extra spiciness. Yeah, I love and that. And added that. Well, we need to get you down here because I'm at I'm at about half a bottle. Oh, <laughs> I, need, I, need to, I might need to drive to Tennessee and uh, bootleg that stuff. 
that's um, the truth, isn't it? Yeah. So David, I uh, before we get any further, I want to go back to kind of the basics of liquor and spirits because I don't think a lot of people know what they're drinking when mm-hmm. they're drinking. Um, so tequila, you know, is made from the agave plant, right? Um, vodka is usually potatoes, but I think it can be wheat as well or something, right? So vodka could really be anything. Anything. Okay. So even, yeah. (laughs) Definitions of what spirits are, and then there's sort of just the history behind how they're made. So vodka is by definition four times distilled and it's typically colorless and tasteless. Mm-hmm. So you end up with a super neutral spirit that's just been really stripped out of everything, with hence the four times distilled. So you could use just about any any grain source, any sugar source whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Your rum is typically cane sugar. Um, so when we say our mash bill is a molasses and a rye, what you're getting in the flavor profile is a lot of those rum notes from the molasses that we use. And that's balancing out the real spicy pepperiness of the rye, which is why we have such a balanced, neutral spirit that even at 100 proof is very smooth. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's colorless, which means you don't age it in charred oak barrels. Do you age it at all? Or is it, you said fil- filtered or through charcoal, right? Nope, we don't age it at all. So once it comes off the still, we send it through a charred oak canister to filter it. So that filters out all the nasty bits that are left, Mm -hmm. but then it also infuses it with a nice little hint of smokiness. And then what we do is we take deionized water, which is basically water that is tasteless, has absolutely like nothing to it. No minerals, nothing. I strip everything out of it with this deionizing process because you get a consistent product every single time and you're not dependent then on how different water tastes every time you pull it out of a water table. Um, So the water that we do use is a local aquifer in North Carolina, and then we send it through that deionizing process. We proof it down to the 100 proof, and then we bottle it. Okay. And you mentioned uh, overproofing. I think I used that term before. Typical spirits are 80 proof, right, which is 40% alcohol. Like that's across the board so this is a little bit stronger than your typical spirit um which is why when i made this negroni i did one you know equal parts campari sweet vermouth saint luna since i do like drier things if i'm using a four, uh, 80 proof spirit i usually increase that a little bit you know mm-hmm. but with this it's perfect to keep it equal and that's something to consider when you're making drinks right is that the proof and how that will affect the final drink it is, and especially when you're doing things like weddings or big events when the goal is to, <laughs> to keep people standing for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the, the challenging bit with St. Luna is that it is so smooth, it goes down very easy. Yep. Um... <laughs> You'll be on your third Negroni before you've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can uh, testify to that. Um, so... Yeah, why why spirits? Are you just a big, you know, do you love the bar scene and, and the and cocktails? Like what got you into this? Um people will say in my twenties, yes. <laughs> that was absolutely <laughs> the case. Um but I so I was the chief operating officer of a brand called Aiden and Danae for the better part of twelve years. And a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, was the founder of that business. And so I became the chief operating officer when I was in my early twenties. And I just 
I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug, they say. And I just, I knew that that wasn't going to be the only business I ever worked on. So I'd always been kind of looking for what the next new idea could be that that would be mine. And it was a, it was Thanksgiving actually. Two of my answers sitting around my, um, my sunroom where the fire's going and we're talking about what the next new family business could be. And we're joking about all different kinds of things. You know, you, you drink a lot of wine during these holidays because it's like, you've got to deal with, you know, half the family you love, half the family's kind of, drives you to drink all that wine. Um, and so my aunt Libby raised a glass of wine and said, oh my goodness, they always say you should do what you know. So we just laughed that it should be an alcohol business. And legitimately the next morning I woke up and I thought to myself, hmm, if I look at Aiden and Danae and how the founder of that business, she didn't invent a whole new piece of fabric. You know, she took a piece of fabric that had existed for thousands of years. She modernized it. She created an exceptional brand and re-educated people on how to best use this piece of fabric. And it, and it built a global, global entity that, you know, is, is one of the premier baby companies in the world. And I thought to myself, hmm, I could do that with Moonshine. You know, like moonshine is sort of the only category in spirits that really is very underdeveloped. You know, when you think moonshine, you think it's going to burn. It's going to be super overproof. It's going to get me really, really drunk. And you're just missing that experiential piece of where does that fit in my evening? And I thought that could be us. You know, I could create more of a craft spirit, more of a craft moonshine and and take it from there. Well, I love how you paralleled your experience in that other business almost directly to the spirit side, you know? That's, that's so cool to do that. Well, it was, a year of, it was a year of just learning, you know, and just being open to anybody that would talk to me about how to, how to be in the spirits industry, what works, what doesn't work. And then there's also an element of you just chart your own destiny and you figure, I really believe in what I'm doing and you know, here's how I think I'm going to get there, you know, especially now with coronavirus. I mean, all half our restaurants have shut down. So for us, it's, it's figuring out how are we going to adapt to that scenario, still being kind to everybody that's out there, because the last thing a restaurant wants to do is talk to a new spirit company when they don't know if they can afford their electric bill. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're starting to do a lot more with marketing, a lot more with our Instagram and just, you know, still telling people that we're here. We're just patiently waiting for this pandemic to finish up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We are too. <laughs> we, our biggest season is in the fall. And so far, the wed most weddings are still on for the fall. But uh, we've had a couple reschedules. And if they keep rescheduling, it's going to be a really long winter. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see. Hopefully, um, hopefully, we can find a way. I mean, a lot of weddings are just getting smaller. And luckily in, New in Asheville, we have a lot of outdoor centric venues. And so already there's plenty of room to social distance. Um, it's unfortunate that the dance floor is not going to be the same for at least six months. Cause that's one of my favorite things about a wedding is, is the dancing. Um, but you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, we we'll move to self-serve bars. I'm like, no, no, that's, <laughs> that's the opposite of what you want. You want someone who's there to, 
be the only one pouring and touching the taps and all that. Absolutely. So, and I mean, there's, a, there's an art form to creating cocktails. Like I'm in awe of people like you that can just put together these extraordinary drinks because it's an art. Like it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the business, actually, because, you know, I did, a, I was a bartender, uh, I was bartending a wedding um, when I first started out without the truck. So it was just in some wedding venue and you know, I have all these mixers, all these ingredients. I'm like, okay, cool. Like let's rock and roll. And I only made two Negronis the whole night. And so I realized, oh, that couple had spent like a hundred dollars for that guy to have those two Negronis. I'm like, that's a little <laughs> ridiculous, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so I went home the next day. I was like, okay, you know, how to batch cocktails mm -hmm. and start, started to learn that process. Cause there is some science to it. Uh, you do have to know what you're doing. Um, the first one I m ever made was, a. Uh, now I call it a Carolina mule cake, but it's a Moscow mule essentially. So ginger, ah, simple yeah. vodka, a little bit of lime. Um, but I, because I didn't want to buy a, like gallons of ginger beer, I said, well, what about if I juice ginger and add the ginger juice into the keg and mix it that way? Um, but the thing with ginger juice is it settles. So all the starches settle on the bottom. So unless you, uh, there's a, there's some sort of device that will allow you to get like the pure juice, but if you don't use that, you do have some sediment. And so um, I did this Moscow mule, Carolina mule kick for this one <laughs> wedding uh, in a keg, batched it up. And when I opened the tap, it was like, it looked like yellow milk because all the starches <laughs> settled. settled at the bottom. And I didn't, you know, I just didn't know. I was my, it was my first time. This is about, this is almost two years ago when I did it. So it's been a, you know, steep learning curve um, and also pre-dilution because you're emulating it coming out of the strainer or the um you know the mixing tin whatever so you have to pre-dilute it because it's when it hits that ice it doesn't dilute from the ice it dilutes because you're shaking or stirring mm -hmm. right and so if you're not doing that on like for the each and every drink you have to pre-dilute that entire batch so usually i'll add like a gallon of water because that's what it that's what it would take to emulate the dilution oh, that's so interesting making a cocktail so do things like that yeah, just, you know, and it's, it's not rocket science, but if you don't do those, if you don't filter and you don't pre-dilute, you'll come out with a, you know, a bad, bad beverage. So I will yeah. say you have to try St. Luna as a mule and we call it a lunar mule. And it's, it's again out of this world because that smokiness and the ginger goes really well together. Um, yeah, no, I'm really enjoying this Negroni with that. I, I'm telling you. So we can't get it in North Carolina yet. What's, how are we going to make that happen? I know. I need a distributor. So the distributors in the U.S. run everything. And they, there's distribution by state. So it's, even though I might have a distributor in Tennessee, they are only allowed to sell in certain parts of Tennessee. So our goal right now is build up our brand, you know, get people trying St. Luna, get people asking their local bars and restaurants to carry St. Luna. Um, because once your bars and restaurants start asking their distributor to carry us, then they will. Um, the challenge we've had is Moonshine has a, a nasty reputation to it. And distributors don't like carrying Moonshines is what I've been told. Hmm. So we're trying to re-educate even on the distributor level that, wait, no, 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 we're doing something very, very different. You know, just try it. This isn't your typical moonshine. 
And once they do, then it's a very different conversation. Yeah, well, as, as we talked about before, you know, the only moonshine I've seen in stores is the sugar mm-hmm. <laughs> fruit added. It's not a delicacy. It's more like it's for someone who doesn't really like liquor or spirits. So I think there's a big opportunity. Um, Asheville's, as you know, is a big uh, cocktail town. Um, I mean, any anytime you're a foodie town, you're pretty much a cocktail town. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of great cocktail bars and some mix, mixologists. And we have a few distilleries in Asheville. So we have a gin distillery we have a, i think a vodka down the road is a really good one it's, it's not quite in Asheville, but um there's a whiskey i mean we could do some split based cocktails with all the local distilleries and do some fun promotions that way there's there's lots of opportunity yeah so if people want to try the saint luna they have to start asking for it at the bars is that I what you're telling us and then i have um so we do sell online reservebar.com and if Reserve Bar doesn't ship to your state, then I have a local liquor store that will actually ship to individual states. They're allowed to do that. Okay. So if you just follow us on Instagram or send me a message, I can put you in touch with all their online ordering systems and all that. Okay, perfect. Well, that's but good. But ask about us. That is, that's how we, how we get big distribution is if people ask about carrying St. Luna. Yeah. Um, well, I will post the, those links in the show notes so that people could um, check that out and reserve a bottle or buy a bottle, not reserve it. <laughs> All right. So, David, what is your favorite part about attending a wedding? You know, my favorite part is all the people you get to kind of see that you haven't seen in a, a really long time. You know, I have a massive family. So anytime we joke about getting together it's usually like weddings and funerals kind of a thing so when i you know you're with your friends it's nice to it's nice to reconnect yeah i think that's a big selling point just to get married these days is to have all your friends and family come out right i mean it's i think when it's a fun wedding then it makes all the difference in the world yeah so last fall, I went to one of my buddy's weddings back in California, and this was up in wine country, beautiful. I did, some, I did my own like, self-guided you know, winery tour in the area, and he had a live band at the wedding, and I thought that was just That's so really fun. cool. You know, like, it, it, it is costly. It, does, you know, it can cost thousands of dollars right, for a live band, but, I mean, they were just they were working with the crowd. Like, it's such an interactive experience, and uh that's probably my favorite addition to that is great um, I mean, I, most yeah. fun, the most fun wedding i ever went to was my old roommate in new york got married um to a guy that lived next door to her dad in nebraska he owned the farm next door so she went home for a family party they fell madly in love and she took over her dad's farm he had his farm and miraculously they're married with like thousands and thousands of acres of farmland in rural Nebraska. So I fly out to go to the wedding, the most fun wedding I have ever been to. Um, I mean, one, it was casual, uh, because it was, it was, it was pretty hot. Um, but the cocktails were fantastic. The food was great. The company was really great. And they had turtle racing. (laughs) <laughs> love it which i had never experienced as a new yorker so 
like when they'd been working the farm, they had collected all these turtles and you basically draw a playing card and they put all the turtles in the middle of a giant circle and whichever turtle makes it out of the circle first, you win. And I mean, you can have a, I swear to God, like you can have a turtle that is like lightning fast and then it discovers a stick. <laughs> and you know, the odds are like not in your favor. Yeah. I didn't so even I know that was a thing. Is that, that is that Nebraska or what? Or Nebraska. That's so Grant, Nebraska. What they do out there? Hmm. I mean, but it was a wedding. It was like six hundred people, seven hundred people. It was it was huge. It was like wow. the entire county came out for this wedding. That's what they. Yeah, it's it was a community and celebration. It, yeah, it was great cocktails. Just a lot, a lot of fun. What did they? You said you they had good food. What did you have for? food there i'm just curious so they had barbecued um pork okay classic yeah so barbecued pork and just a ton of salads like i think basically every every person in the church that was there made a salad and brought it mm. i love it very communal so david you live in new york city do you live in the upper west side i do i do so i lived in the west village for 10 years or so Mm -hmm. um no 12 years i'm sorry 12 years and i just recently moved up to the upper west side june 1st okay and what do you like most about living in new york city it's hard to say now because everything's closed but mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean you live in new york city because of just the access you have to restaurants bars and all the entertainment broadway um i'm three blocks from lincoln center so there's just, there's always something going on in New York mm -hmm. and that's attractive. Where I am now, I live a block from Central Park. So the dogs and I are out there every morning. We run in the park, we, you know, play Frisbee and do all that kind of fun stuff. So even though I'm in the city, I still have some kind of like land to, to go hang out on. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Central Park is the saving grace for a lot of New Yorkers. Um, just cause every, everybody's on top of each other in regards to space and, uh, I've, right. you know, I have a buddy who lives up there. He's been there for a few years and, uh, yeah, his apartment is, I mean, the bathroom, <laughs> the door opens, like it barely hits the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, that's very, very typical in New York. And I think he was paying around $2,800 and that was three years ago and he got it locked in cause he knew the landlord or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah. It's outrageous. I mean, yeah. I was out with um, my aunt, my uncle last week, and I was talking about how this apartment is so affordable and all of that. And I'm sitting in their four bedroom house, and my aunt looks at me and goes, "You realize that's more than our mortgage, right?" <laughs> and I'm like, "All right, maybe it's not that affordable. It's <laughs> affordable in this yeah. city, I guess." <laughs> we mentioned the accessibility, and that's something that I learned when I visited that said friend um he was working at the time well he still works but he was working when I was visiting and so he said hey Bryce here's this uh you know this weekly or daily email and it, it says all the free things you can do in New York City and I was like oh yeah I was like oh cool right because I didn't you know I didn't have much money at that time I was like whatever I'll do something on the free list and it, there was like 60 things in one day that I could go and do and one of, which, one of which was a gin company that was putting on like an educational seminar 
on gin, the history of gin. So I, I walk into this room and there's like 15, 20 other people. And we just sit there and sample the spirits. And he goes over the history of gin for the past, whatever, 500 years. Three, you know, it was a really cool experience. So you're kind of centrally located for, you know, an hour north of me. I could get on a train and I could be in Cold Spring and I could be hiking up Breakneck Ridge, which is this beautiful mountain. Bear Mountain is right there. That's about an hour and a half away. Um, you know, and then if I go the complete other direction, I'm on Long Island and I have beaches on either, either coasts, mm. you know, yeah. I have the Long Island sound or I have the ocean. Yeah. That's, it's nice to have that. Um, we're up in Asheville and it's about four hours to get to the, <laughs> the ocean. Um, but it is Charleston. Once you drive four hours, you get to Charleston <laughs> and the ocean, which, so that's kind of a cool thing about Asheville. Um, have you been down here at all? Have you been to... So I've only been to Statesville, which is where our distillery is. So we work with a third party distillery. It's a husband and wife team out of Statesville. And so I've been down there a few times. But I have friends that just, they moved to Greensboro a couple years ago and they rave about it. That's funny because I went to college in Greensboro and I, I would never go back. <laughs> really? Oh my goodness. All right. Well, see, I have a lot of exploring to do. It's good for families, but... I don't know. And it, it, that was 10 years ago. I went to school there and I worked there for at the school for three years. And so I lived in Greensboro. Uh, but, you know, I'm yeah, I, I like Asheville. But Statesville is only about an hour and a half down the road. So right. next time you so do a I've visit. Got a I've got a reason to come down and, and visit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Come on out. Um, so back to back to weddings. You know, I love doing these signature cocktails. St. Luna would be a great addition, you know, to these cocktails. Uh, but it does have that, you said, you describe it as a smoky, a little bit of a smoky, subtle flavor, right? Yes. So that could work really well in what kinds of cocktails? I know we talked a little bit about um, the green pepper with lime juice. A simple syrup, but it just depends on what types of flavors um, you'd be after. I mean, St. Luna makes an exceptional Manhattan and you're playing up the rye and the smokiness a mm -hmm. bit. And then on the other angle of that, you're doing, I can do daiquiris. You know, I do beautiful Hemingway daiquiris. I do fruit daiquiris where I muddle whatever's in season. Um, last summer I was doing a lot of just strawberry and basil cocktails where you just muddle strawberries, basil, a little bit of simple syrup and same fresh lime juice. And you make a beautiful daiquiri that way. Yeah. I could that, twist that into a margarita and just add a little bit of Grand Marnier. Daiquiri is another cocktail that's kind of been um, gone the way of moonshine, <laughs> right? Everyone thinks a daiquiri is a sweet, syrupy, <laughs> fruity beverage. But if you make it properly and correctly, it's not. So I could see that definitely. Um, definitely making a, a good beverage. We, uh, yeah, as I said, we do a lot of cocktails on draft and um, it's just a great way to create a consistently delicious drink throughout the night, you know? So I've, as I said, I've done some weddings I've, as a bartender without the truck. I've been to some weddings, <laughs> obviously there was no truck there. And you know, you're seeing the bartender make all these drinks and it's like, there's gotta be a better way to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and then I've had, I've, I went to one wedding where the it was one of the groomsmen who was just tossing in bottles into a water tower. He wasn't measuring anything. 
Mm-hmm. And then we just kept having a taste test because I was the bartender for that. But, you know, I, they brought all the liquor, so I wasn't in control. And I just think the the cocktails on draft that are pre-batched precisely could be a really good. Oh, absolutely. Answer. And I think what would be really interesting for a wedding could be a bijou. So bijou is basically a Negroni, but you're switching out um, green chartreuse. For the Campari? Uh, for the sweet vermouth. Oh, so sweet vermouth. So instead oh. of the sweet vermouth, do a little green chartreuse, and you have what's called a bijou, which okay. is Japanese for cute. I love it. I'll... You can do a, a fun <laughs> way to do like a... Where's my bottle of green chartreuse? I don't, <laughs> I've got to get my whole bar here. Um, well, I will try that at some point and definitely tell you how it goes. Cause I do, as I said, I do still have some St. Luna left. I've got one more tasting with um, a local bar owner. It's actually uh, Chris Craft, which is kind of cool. Her name's Chris Craft. She's big in the, the cocktail scene here. And she owns the Waterbird, which is their tagline, coffee and cocktails. Oh, very so cool. He's you gonna love get, it. I mean, yeah. we do an amazing espresso martini. Mm. You know, a funny story about that is that I had never even seen or heard of an espresso martini until I went to Australia. Really? And they were Where ordering them left and right. Um, Byron Bay, oh, Sunshine Coast. Yeah, so did you do, so I was in Byron Bay and then I um, took a bus up to Airlie Beach and did the whole like sailing, I mean, it was me and 22 other strangers because I think it was like 300 Australian at the time. Uh huh. And for four days, I had 20 new best friends and we just sat and sailed all around the Whitsunday Islands. Oh, I love that. And yeah. at that time, the, I think the Australian dollar to the US dollar was like 50%. So it actually only cost me like 200 bucks or something. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I was down there two years ago, two and a half years ago. And it was actually for a farm course. So I went onto a farm and I learned about holistic farming and sustainability stuff. To do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved it. I wouldn't have left, but I had a dog. (laughs) I still have a dog. (laughs) And I loved it. I love Australia. I think it's great. And one thing I didn't. A lady, my little German shepherd mix. Oh, cute. I've got a a 12 year old cockapoo and a five year old pointed wire haired griffon. Hmm. What does that look like? He's like a really big, dopey, shaggy dog that's supposed (laughs) to hunt ducks, but, you know, trips and walks into trees instead. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Um, But yeah, I I didn't know that Australia was made up of cities that bordered the coastline. Like, you know, you don't think about it, but they don't have any cities inland. It's all, everything's coastal. So it creates a much different vibe compared to the United States where we have a lot of big cities just landlocked you know mm-hmm. so i don't know i love the culture there people were friendly fun um it felt more southern than the south does to me well, <laughs> it felt more like southern hospitality yeah it's all about it like enjoying your life you know like yeah. work is nine to five and then it's truly just ends at five and people have fun they're at the beach all night and yeah it's just a very different way of life <laughs> i know i gotta figure out i was like I love these photographers who fly around the, the world and do weddings. I'm like, I can't do that with my truck. I can't drive to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> but if I could, I would. That'd be so much fun. Um, yeah. So, David, um, so we got St. Luna in New York City. 
Chattanooga and Nashville. And Memphis. And Memphis. Okay. Memphis. So we're not yet in Nashville. So I am working oh, okay. on that now, basically. Yeah. I was there just a couple of weeks ago on my cross country drive, driving another truck across um, the United States. And I stopped in there and pretty much everything was closed. But I did find a little dive bar in East Nashville, which is kind of like the hip, you know, yes. the hip part of town. So yeah, if you ever, if you ever want to go there, just let me know. I'll, I'll meet you there and we'll go, you know, hit up the town and yeah, I'd some, love to get some accounts. I love, I love <laughs> that was my first time there. So I hadn't, I didn't get to experience it like and I wanted it's to. Transforming every single day. I mean, they're putting so much infrastructure into Nashville. It's in a year's time, it's going to be a completely different city. Crazy, crazy. But East um, Nashville is amazing. Yeah. That's usually where I stay, actually. Yeah, it's not, it's not so much honky-tonk bachelorette parties. It's more music. Yeah, and... you know 90% of Nashville is pretty much craft cocktails, beautiful yeah. food, um, and it's just a really small percentage that are the honky-tonks. <laughs> yeah. But I like the good, I like good old country. I'm like an outlaw country kind of guy, so there's some bars that I really want to go to when it opens back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see when that happens. Um, well, David, it looks like our time is, um, we're getting close to the end. Is there anything you want to share with our listeners, either about spirits or weddings or cocktails or your business or the future? Oh, sure thing. I mean, I just appreciate all the support I can get, especially now. So, you know, follow us on Instagram. It's St. Lunas Spirits on Instagram. And for the next few weeks, we're basically giving away a bottle we're raffling off a bottle every single week to people that follow us. Just put in the comments where you heard about us. Um, you know, and I just, you know, looking forward to when we can all get back to work and looking forward to the restaurant and bar industry being able to rebound from all of this. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think people understand how, how awful it is for that particular industry. Um, because I know it looks like everybody's out and, you know, 50% capacity sounds like a lot, but in most places, food is either break even or a loss. Um, most places make all of their money on cocktails and that's cocktails going out at, you know, you've got two in your hand and you're running to go grab more. And, you know, all of that stuff has been dramatically impacted by what's going on now. Yeah. So, you know, support local any, any way you can and, you know, tip well if you can, <laughs> because people are, you know, hurting pretty badly. Yeah, yeah. My tip, my tipping percentage has gone up. <laughs> yeah, definitely substantially since all this. Just because, I mean, not not only were people out of work for a long time, but also all the stuff they have to do now. You know, like I see, um, I was in Charleston a couple weeks ago, and doing a styled shoot, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to spray down the tables with sanitizer after every guest. And I'm like, that's a whole nother like aspect to the job, let alone when I saw someone sanitizing, like she was in the bathroom sanitizing the, the, the yeah, sink and, and this. Heard, and heard of the staff too. Like I'm sure that that restaurant has come back and said, you know what, you know, we're only going to bring two people back and you're just going to have to do everything. Yeah. And they have to wear masks doing it. <laughs> it's like, they yeah, have to, it. you know, yeah. I was, listening to the news and one of this big restaurateur was talking about how there's 11 million people employed by small business restaurants, yep. you know, in the United States. And like, you just don't think about it being that big of a number. 
Um, but it is. Because it's fragmented. It's not a unified company, you know, but it is a unified community of people. Yeah. So. And so now you have places that have just closed permanently and, you know, millions of those people will be looking for work in a very saturated market. So it's, it's yeah. challenging for the hospitality industry. Yeah, I agree. Um, we've had a lot of restaurants open back up here in Asheville, but again, at capac- at certain capacity levels, um, all the bars are still closed, like the proper private club bars. And one of my guilty pleasures is karaoke, so I can't do my karaoke uh, anymore. <laughs> so um, I'm hoping we'll do things... Do karaoke. What was that? We can do some Zoom karaoke, but I'm going to need like four more cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll be our next our next show. Well, on that note, David, I'm gonna um, close out the podcast. Thank you so much for okay. jumping on here and talking a little more about spirits, cocktails, and weddings. Uh, can't wait to make some really tasty cocktails. In fact, uh, for one of my clients, uh, my one of my clients actually referred me to you. So we're gonna put together a really nice cocktail for them for their wedding next June and can't wait to uh, share the love of St. Luna. Oh, amazing. Thank you, Bryce. I can't say thank you enough. (laughs) Take care. Talk to you soon. Thanks.